You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me right here is Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, hello. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Great. Uh, real quick, I want to thank everybody for listening. We've had a pretty highly rated show, and if you like us, uh, an iTunes review or rating would be appreciated. So thank you again. Um, let's get right to it. Pitchers and catchers are reporting this week, and that means we're looking ahead to the season. And that means it's the time of the year for projections to come out. And everybody knows projections because they try to guess what might happen this season, and they all have funny names like Zips or Pakoda, Marcel or Oliver. Uh, one of my favorites is Steamer. So joining me right here today is the creator of Steamer, friend of the show, Jared Cross. Jared, how are you? Hi, doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so, Jared, I was hoping you could just give us, for people who don't know, a, a brief history of Steamer. It actually came out of a, a high school project. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Dash Davidson and Peter Rosenblum were high school sophomores. Uh, and they came to me and said they wanted to win their fantasy baseball league, and they wanted to figure out how to do it. Um, so we started sort of by uh, fiddling around with, you know, roto auction values and things like that, um, and pretty soon decided that we needed to come up with our own system for projecting how players would perform. Um, and you were, their, first, you were their math teacher at the time, is that right? I was actually their chemistry teacher back then. <laughs> um, I, I taught them, I met those kids first when they were 12 years old in seventh grade science. This, this was uh, 10th grade chemistry. Uh, they knew I was into baseball stats. I think that's why I was the obvious choice, um, something I'd been for, into for a long time. Um, and yeah, at first we were terrible. Uh, and we compared our projections to others that first year, and we were getting whooped on by uh, Marcel and, and all the rest. Uh, but we looked into, you know, why we were losing and what we did badly and just sort of kept working on it. And uh, those guys went away to college and wanted to keep working on it and kept working on it. Uh, and, and here we are still working on it. No, it's, those it's, guys are now, I don't know, 23, I think. It's funny that it came out of a fantasy baseball background because uh, the Fangraphs, the very popular website, there's an article this week in the Washington Post that said that's exactly why that site started as well. David Appleman is trying to win his fantasy baseball league. Uh, and he wanted to put together numbers to do it. So now we are a bunch of years later. What stats are, do you value the most when it kind of goes into the, the soup, as it were? Yeah, well, I think for hitting stats, um, it's still mostly sort of your, your back of the baseball card, your, your counting stats. Uh, that may be about to change, uh, but that's what it's been. It's just sort of been about how to, how to use them. Um, for pitchers, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at strikeouts and walks. Those are the things that are most consistent. Um, folks maybe know about, you know, sort of dips, the idea that the, the rate at which pitchers give up hits on balls and plays is pretty unpredictable, pretty pretty noisy from one year to the next. Uh, so you want to look at strikeouts and walks. Maybe you want to look at whether a pitcher gives up ground balls or fly balls. Uh, we also look at how, how hard they throw, um, both to get a better sense of, you know, what, a priori, you know, before their stats, what kind of what kind of uh, strikeout numbers we'd expect, but also, you know, is there a reason to think that their their talent's changing, that they've they've dropped a mile per hour and they won't strike out as many guys going forward, right? It gives us sort of an, an early warning sign. Now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, isn't that what separates Steamer from the other projection systems is integrating uh, pitch tra- pitch tracking uh, data, pitch effects, etc. Well, you know. I, I actually don't know. I, I think that, that Zips is, on, is, is using that stuff now uh, as well. Um, so, so I don't know. And, and, you know, of course, we, uh, 
we're all a little bit secretive about this stuff. So I don't really know what, say, Pakoda's up to or, you know, what Clay Davenport's doing these days. Um, but maybe. So, so you mentioned for pitchers, uh, it's mostly strikeouts and walks. Um, you know, and I'm interested, obviously, we, we like to talk about StatCast. What kind of value do you think we could add if, if we added, say, um, exit velocity, you know, that kind of stuff, or, or spin rate? Maybe that, that kind of would help set it apart a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got a student who's a, a senior now, William Sapolsky, who's, who's working on, he came to me and said, hey, I want to use uh, batted ball data, stuff like the exit velocity to make better hitter projections. Um, and we've been working on that this year. I, I think it's going to have a lot of value. Um, I think there are a lot of cases where, I mean, you can see it, right? You can see um, Michael Conforto had one ball, right, that he hit, I don't know, close to 120 miles an hour last year, right? And all of a sudden, you know, you know something about him that you didn't know before, right? Whereas, you know, we could be collecting data for, you know, 300 plate appearances, to get that kind of information in a way, you know, but by the raw counting stats. So I think there are things you can figure out just a lot faster um, by, by having the raw exit velocities. And we're also going to be, so it'll help certainly with young players, but also for players who say have an injury, who have recovered from an injury, right. Where talent levels changing. Um, so I think it can, it can serve a role sort of like fastball velocity does for pitchers. Now, every year you must, um, I assume, go back and kind of look at what, how, how well the uh, actual performances went up to your projections. Um, do you have like a review process each year and then you make tweaks and then hopefully you get a little bit better and better each season? That's the idea. Um, you know, one thing that's tricky about it is that the sort of the, the underlying noise, the sort of what I'd call chance variation, maybe other people won't let me off the hook on this too easily here, uh, what I'd call sort of, you know, the, the unavoidable error uh, is actually pretty large compared to sort of the differences between different systems. And it's pretty large compared to the difference in any little sort of tweak you're going to make to your system. Um, so, so some of it is sort of backtesting and seeing what worked and what would have worked. Uh, part of it is, is thinking, well, what do I know about the game of baseball that's not in here? You know, what, what would I want to know about the game of baseball that's not in here? Um, and sort of coming up with a mathematical model for those things we think we know, uh, but we know Steamer doesn't yet know. Now, along these lines, you know, I'm not going to ask you to sort of, you know, rip another projection system, but I have another <laughs> qu a question about a baseball prospectus's Pocota projections. Um, which I guess now for the third straight year has somewhat notoriously predicted the Royals' demise. Um, and they got some attention mm -hmm. yesterday when it suggested that um, the Royals, I think, would only win 75 games this year, and there was some outrage. And the editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspective, Sam Miller, who I think is one of the best baseball writers out there, basically wrote a piece saying, hey, you know, that's what the numbers say. You know, this is, this is just what the algorithm is telling us. Well, in a certain sense, I, I respect that, that outlook. There's also part of me that sort of thinks, well, if you're constantly missing the same way, shouldn't you be fixing the algorithm to adjust for that? So I guess my question for you is, is it, are you inclined to fix something if you're constantly seeing the same mistake? And along those lines, what do you think is, is Steamer's current biggest blind spot? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's tough. Uh, well, yeah, I, I read that article by Sam Miller. I thought it was great. I think I think his response to it was was the right one in my mind. So he... He said, hey, I, I saw, I, I expected more out of the Royals. You know, I, I forget what he said. I think he said before he saw Pacote, he was expecting them to win 84 games, 86 games. 
he saw Pakoda check in at 75, and, and he changed his mind because uh, he said, hey, what do I know? I know Pakoda's better at this than I am, right? Um, they, they, there are errors in Pakoda just like any other system for sure, right? But, you know, algorithms do better than, than human intuition at this stuff. So I, I should see Pakoda, and I should change my mind. Um, and the question, the first question we should ask is, hey, why, why don't others, right? So he, he asked all the, the staff members at Prospectus, you know, what, what did they think of the Royals before they saw the Pakoda projection, showed them the Pakoda projection, and said, hey, did, did you change your mind? And most of them didn't. Um, but why not, right? So as soon as they see that Pakoda, they've, they've, seen, they've seen a guess that they know is better than their guess, right, objectively. Um, they should come around. Um, the other thing he showed is that when Pakoda's missed in the past, in one direction, you know, high for some team last year, they're not more likely to be high the next year, right? That, that there isn't some sort of correlation between misses in the past and, and uh, misses we can expect in the future. Um, and I think Jeff Sullivan's done that same thing for Steamer and showed, hey, when we've missed on the Pirates in the past, right, that, that doesn't imply we're going to miss on them in the same direction in the future. Uh, we might well miss, right? Uh, but there's no reason you know, going in to think that, hey, we're more likely to miss low on the Royals than high. You know, for me, I think it's just a, it's a matter of perception uh, in two reasons, really. I think a lot of people look at the, the team that wins the World Series as the best team in baseball. Uh, and it's easy to yep. think that, but I don't know that's necessarily true, right? Like, you get to the playoffs, you're a good team, and a lot can happen in a short series. Uh, Carlos Correa doesn't mess up that double play. Maybe the Royals don't even get to the World Series. So I think, you know, that's easy to say, well, they're five wins better than I thought they were because they have that ring. But I also think it's just a misconception of what a projection is trying to accomplish, right? It's the difference between projections and predictions. Obviously, the best projection system in the world is never going to know about a trade that's going to be made in July or an injury that's going to happen, you know, or, the, for example, the Royals were the most clutch offensive team that we've seen in, like, 40 years. So that, that's something you run into a lot where people kind of misunderstand what your projection is versus what a prediction is. Yeah. Um, you know, it, It'd be a little bit better, although still not entirely true, if we said instead of, hey, the, the Royals are going to win 79 games, if we said, hey, we think the Royals have a 49% chance of winning any game they play. If, sorry, so if we said something like that, you'd know, hey, okay, flip a coin 162 times. Uh, you expect it to come up heads 81 times, right? But you know that that might not happen, right? So we think that the, you know, the, the Royals are expected to win 79 games, but we only think there's about a 6% chance that's going to happen, right? There's 94% chance that that's going to be wrong, that, that something else is going to happen. So maybe what we should be going, giving is a, is a distribution, right? Here, here, here's a range of outcomes. Uh, we think there's a third chance that they're, they're 79 wins, give or take two. Or we think there's a two chan- uh, two-thirds chance that they're 79 wins, give or take you know six or seven. Um, something like that, um, because right, we, it, there's nothing special about the 79 wins. Um, and I guess if, if we were being a little better than that, we wouldn't just say, "Hey, we think they, they have a 49% chance of winning each game." We'd say, "Well, we think that they have a 49% chance of winning the typical game, give or take a couple percentage, because we might be wrong. They might change. The guys might get hurt. We might not know who's going to play uh, how much." Um, 
right? And, and like you said, there's a lot that can happen. Yeah, I think, right? I think you're right, but, um, you know, when has the internet ever been interested in nuance, really? I was actually reading uh, Tom Tango today. I think he put it perfectly, and if you're not familiar with Tom Tango, he's a very well-respected baseball analyst. He's consulted for a couple of teams, uh, and he basically said, paraphrasing here, that the numbers aren't really single solid numbers. They're really over-unders, right? Like, if you look at a football game in Vegas and there's a three-point favorite, and nobody's saying they're going to win by three. It's about, a, 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 you know, it's a... The average, um, the, excuse me, they mean on average that the score differential could be above three points as often as it would be below three points. And I think that kind of gets to what you just said, right? Where it's not really, this is the number, it's a range of outcomes that could happen on either side of the number. Yeah, I, I saw Vegas sitting at uh, 84 for the Royals. I, I did email someone and tell them to take the under, so uh, <laughs> Royal, Royals fans can, can, can hate me. Well, you know what, you're absolutely right. And the last point on the Royals is that everybody's killing all the projections for the Royals, but if you go back to last season, nobody, like old school newspaper writers, magazine writers, nobody out of Kansas City, outside of Kansas City, picked the Royals. It wasn't just the nerds. Um, Jared, I just want to, I want to ask you another question about Steamer here. We've got a lot of guys coming in from professional leagues around the world, you know, Cubans and Koreans, um, Yosemite Tomas last year, and now Park and Kim are coming in this year. How hard is that for you to account for these guys who are coming from these other leagues who have no American, you know, professional or collegiate or high school experience? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think it's tough on two levels. Um, one that, that we don't really know the relative levels of the leagues, right? So if we look at just guys who have come from, say, Cuba uh, into Major League Baseball, there aren't that many guys. Um, I don't know, maybe 15 guys, something like that, in, in recent history. Um, and so, so you could you could make a, a guess based on that. That would be sort of a, a, a selective sample, though, right, because there are guys who come over from Cuba, start in the minor leagues, make it to the majors later, right? So So you're sort of weeding out the guys who didn't make it to the majors. So then you're then you end up sort of saying, well, okay, how do these guys, who, how do they play in Cuba? How do they play in the minors? And then, you know, what's the relative level of the, those minor leagues to the majors and forecasting that? Um, it, at the end of the day, there's basically just a lot of uncertainty in sort of the, your, your estimate of the relative quality of the league. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is I think the, the bigger the difference in quality of the league, in the leagues, the more uncertainty in sort of how the players skills are going to translate across, right? Um, so maybe this, is, this is goes against a little bit of what, what Bill James said, which is that, you know, MLE, major league equivalents, right? So if you take some, some players' minor league stats and come up with a major league equivalent of that, adjust it to major league level, uh, that'd be just as good a predictor as major league stats, right? I don't, I don't think that's quite true. I think that the, the further you get from major league quality in the league, uh, the, the more uncertainty there is in, in how a player is going to translate. So we, we've got that too, right? And, of course, you know, a whole new world, new family, new friends, there's all of that, right? There, there, there's other reasons to be more uncertain of how this player is going to perform. Now, Jared, before, you, before you, we let you go, I, we want you to put your uh, – let me not put your money where your mouth is, but at least maybe uh, give us a couple of uh, specific players, some outliers from your 2016 projections that – that stood out to you? Uh, maybe one player who stood out on the high end and maybe one on the low end and maybe explain why you think that is and, and how confident you feel in that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, I'm a statistician, so I'm never allowed confidence here. Right. Uh, but let's see, we have, we have uh, Puig, Yasel Puig, um, who had a, what was, I think considered a surprisingly good projection. Right. Uh, and, and Steamer would say this. Well, Steamer doesn't know about 
you know, clubhouse problems. It doesn't know about a bar fight or it doesn't even know about hamstring strains. Uh, it would say we've got a guy who we've observed in his 23, 20, uh, sorry, 22, 23, 24 year old seasons, right? And he's been phenomenal, right? Um, it's what do we expect in his 25 year old season? We're expecting this guy to be really good. Um, now, yeah, it's true that it... in his last half season, right, he was pretty disappointing, right? Um, but I think, I think there's the tendency to say, hey, he was bad last year, uh, and, not, and, and sort of one, to sort of have that recency bias and that, that weighs a little larger than it should. And in his case, to sort of treat it as a full year when it was really just a half season in which he, 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 he didn't play well, right? And so Steamer sort of, uh, we hope, giving that the appropriate weight and saying, hey, realistically, we should expect this guy to go back to being really good. Really good. Yeah. Uh, you actually have him as, as similar to Chris Bryant and Jose Bautista, which uh, I think everybody agrees the talent is there, but obviously there's a lot of other issues. So if he actually comes out like that, I imagine Dodger fans would be extremely pleased. <laughs> yeah, I, I want, the projection is a 137 weighted runs created plus. Uh, for context, in 2014, which was a good Puig season, he was at 147. Last year, he was at 111. So even in a disappointing year, he was comfortably above average. Yeah, that's that's all from memory. That's that's, that's well, amazing. we'll say that it is. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is so who is someone that was your low man? So for me, I I looked at it and I was very surprised to see D Gordon, um, who had I don't want to say a similar season because it got to it in a very different way than Puig did, but. Uh, overall, a 113 weighted runs created where we got a 111. Obviously, very different in on base and slugging. But um, they act, Steamer actually has him as uh, being below average, uh, 11% below average. Uh, and he was about league average in 2014. And he, was, he was pretty good last year. So I'm assuming that that still has a, a memory that goes back a few years to when he was still struggling with the Dodgers, right? Yeah. Um, so, so so he's a very, you know, um, very, very BABIP-dependent guy, right? So he, he's his performance is going to be pretty dependent on at what rate uh, balls fall in, the balls he hits into play, right? He's sort of the, the opposite of a, of a three true outcomes kind of a guy, right? Uh, and I think his, his rate of balls going for hits on play was something like third, uh, 383 last year, right? It was in the 380s. Uh, yeah, something like that, which shouldn't be sustainable, but of course he runs like that. So, Right. Now, uh, Steamer basically doesn't quite believe that anyone's that good. I think the highest Babbitt that's projecting is Trout at 350. The worst, I think, is Teixeira at 245. Um, it, it's taking a performance like that and saying, okay, we think he's good, right? We think, we think that going forward, his, more of his balls are going to fall into play than the typical guy. Uh, but we don't think it's going to be 38% again. Um, and so that's, that's where he's getting knocked. Now, it could be that this is sort of kind of area where once we get stat cast data and we're able to model this a little better, we're able to say, okay, uh, hitting the ball where he does, right? He's, he's not hitting very many infield flies. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard. He's, he's uh, finding holes. He's got good launch angles. He's got incredible speed. Maybe it's reproducible, right? Maybe when we have that better data, we're able to say, hey, this, this is a real talent, um, or, or at least say more of it's a talent, right? As is, we're, our, our best bet is, yeah, there's definitely some talent there, uh, but probably some luck too. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, Jared, I'm going to leave you with this. I was doing a little bit of research for this, and I came across your name in a 20-year-old New York Daily News article where uh, it appears you drove in the winning run for the the championship game of the school that you now teach for. 
So. Oh man, I, I can't stand it that you brought that up. Yeah, I, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm saying we are re- always hear about oh the games aren't played in spreadsheets. Um, sometimes they're played on the field, and sometimes you drive in the winning run for your team's first ever championship. So yeah, and that that little looper over second base uh, <laughs> looks looks really good in the counting stats. That's right? all that matters. So Jared Cross, we have a, a playoff hero, chemistry teacher, creator of Steamer Projections. Follow him at Steamer Pro. Jared, thanks so much. All right, thanks a lot, guys. So we got to talk to a chemistry teacher who is also a statistician who has come up with one of the most impressive uh, projection systems, which is cool. I like that, that you know, come from a varied background like that. Yeah, for sure. Be a baseball person. In terms of, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what stood out to you from, uh, from, from hearing Jared talk about Well, he, uh, when he brought up Michael Conforto, I thought that was cool because uh, he, he talked about exit velocity, right? And I think there's, there's got to be a certain point where if you can hit the ball that hard, it's not an accident. Right, it's a skill, and so that should almost maybe even put you in like another tier as far as projections go, where like maybe this guy should be considered a little more highly. Yeah, it reminds me of the old uh, Bill James concept of uh, signature significance. I think where it was, he basically said throwing a no hitter isn't necessarily show show that a pitcher is unique because there's a lot of luck that goes into it. But if a pitcher can strike out 15 guys in a game, that's actually a meaningful skill, and that shows that he has an ability that the average pitcher doesn't have, and you need to pay attention to that guy. And I feel like what's, what he's hinting is basically saying that we can do that now with something like, potentially do some, do that with something like exit velocity. Yeah, and we've, got, we've talked about this a little before too. Exit velocity for hitters can be kind of a good indicator of health. You know, So even if the results aren't necessarily there, if we see a guy who we know was hurt and then he starts hitting the ball 5, 10 miles an hour harder, maybe that's a good sign for the next season. Or just like even like he's coming off the DL and – all of a sudden he hits one that's like 118 miles an hour. So, okay, right. I guess he's... I guess he's healthy. <laughs> if you can do that when you're hurt, well, that's another thing entirely. Um, you know, Jared also got a lot, got into individual projections a lot. And, you know, for me, Puig is kind of fascinating, particularly in the contrast to D. Gordon, because, you know, it's it's funny that they basically had the same weighted runs created plus last year because the narrative surrounding yeah, the season totally different, completely different. Um, and then you go and look at the steamer wins projection for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are projected yeah. to win the NL West by a wide margin. And I guess Puig is a factor there. Well, so I think Puig has like a four or five win above replacement projection. But I, I think Jared nailed that in, in two words: recency bias. Right? Everybody just looks at the last year and they think that's exactly what you're going to get going on and you know that's not true there's lots of reasons why someone who has a lot of talent may not have played well last year you know injury obviously is a huge one and Puig kept hurting his hamstrings uh you know just an off season there's so many reasons why so you kind of have to go back a couple of seasons and I think that's sort of what is uh what's what's boosting Puig up and then it also hurts guys who are more recently successful like D Gordon because obviously he was below average for many years with the Dodgers and then he goes to the Marlins and he had this amazing season so I think that's what's hard for people to kind of understand is it's not all about just what happened last year because if that was the case who needs projections you know there's got to be more that goes into it than that yeah the Babbitt comment about D Gordon is is interesting because as Jared noted it was 383 last year and you look back on um, D Gordon's current teammate uh, Ichiro back in his peak and people forget that his like his batting average would fluctuate even at his, his best years 40 to 50 points a year he went from one year 313 to 372 and it was basically just Babbitt and yeah. you could see the same thing with I could easily see the same thing with D Gordon where basically his skill set would remain the same but his batting average and therefore his overall value would very wildly and, and that's why the projection you know of a, of a decline almost makes sense because he doesn't walk and he doesn't really hit for power if he loses that one thing then it's I don't want to say it's a collapse because he's still valuable in other ways but you could easily see him not being quite what he was last year you know the batting title and all that 
Um, and so I think you're right. That's kind of a, it's a hard to sustain skill. Now, obviously he's got those wheels. He's going to beat out more infield hits than anybody else. But I, I think that's exactly the kind of thing that can hurt him going forward. And that's why the projection, you know, it makes sense to me. He is shift proof. As he is shift proof. With the, with the speed. So that should help the bad because one of the reasons We've seen some guys lose BABIP. He mentioned yeah. Mark Teixeira. Yeah, that's exactly right. Teixeira is getting crushed by the by the shift. And you're right. Yeah, Gordon is shift-proof because Mark Teixeira is probably not going to drop down that bunt to the left side, but D. Gordon would absolutely do that to you, and he'd be happy to take it. I um, want to get back on the Dodgers for a second and ask you about that win projection because it's yeah. remarkable to me. An eight-win... Steamer has them at 92 wins, Giants in second place at 84 wins, which is kind of I mean I think that might be the biggest gap any they have a steamer has on any I think that's, division. that's probably true uh, but like what's the narrative of the Dodger offseason right disappointment they lost Granky. they didn't get price uh, they, they tried to get Chapman and didn't for obvious reasons they signed the Akuma and then didn't you know because he failed the physical so the narrative is wow this team's really falling apart they're not having a good se- uh, good offseason but I think that kind of forgets just how deep this team is like from 1 to 40 on the 40-man roster probably the deepest team you look at even the rotation Kershaw is the only superstar but they have something like 10 other guys who have started a major league game in the last two years. They don't really need to have five guys uh, making 32 starts apiece, right? Kershaw, obviously. But if you get 20 good starts out of, you know, Brett Anderson and 15 out of uh, Brandon McCarthy, he comes back. You put all that together, that's 162 very good starts. And it kind of it ripples down the entire roster that way. So I think while they don't look like the team that that kind of payroll should buy, uh, that amount of depth is reflected uh, in Steamer. And so I think that projection is not really that surprising to me, though I know it is to a lot of the public. And I, I stand corrected. Uh, it's not the largest gap. The largest gap is the Cubs. The Cubs? I was wondering about that. <laughs> uh, Steamer has the Cubs at 94 wins. The Pirates and Cardinals tied at 84 wins. That actually seems low to me. I, I agree. Both of those teams taking a step back. But the Cardinals, what, won 100 games last year, I think. Yes. I don't think they've taken a 16-win step back. But then here we get into that again. Like, Are we smarter than the projections? We don't know. Although you wonder how much of it is... Two of the Cardinals' best players from last year are on the Cubs now. Are on the Cubs yeah. now. And they lost Lance Lynn, who blew out his arm his after the year. And Molina's hurt already. I don't know how much of that is already in Steamer. But I do think that they are a weakened team. But I would be surprised if they ended up finishing that low. But it works the other way, too. We've been talking about the Royals a lot. I actually take the projections side. I don't know if I'm going to say they're a 78-win team. i, I got to give them at least 500. But I understand why the projections see them that way. Because the rotation, you know, it's, it's not as impressive as it was. I think that was the issue last year. They lost James Shield and replaced him with Volquez. And then, you know, they had Cueto, and Cueto's gone now. The rotation was 23rd or something in ERA last year. I think that's what really stands out to the projections, uh, and that makes sense to me. I mean, I think that they are a good team, obviously, but I don't think winning the World Series makes you the quote-unquote best team. And there's not really proof that there's carryover to that the next year. You look at the Angels for a couple of years outplayed their projections. The Orioles outplayed their projections. I just don't think it's a skill. Like, it's a great thing that magic can happen at once. It's not necessarily a tangible skill you can keep going forward with. My counter-argument to that would be that a dominant bullpen could theoretically sure. swing you in close games in a way that maybe the projections might I, I agree. Might miss. That, yeah, the projections, I do think, underrate uh, bullpens. I think that, that is a totally valid argument. And you can see the trend in baseball, how many teams are trying to load up on those bullpens, you know, the Yankees and, and some other teams. So I think that uh, is definitely one of the ways that everybody missed on the Royals. And I think that's still valid, although obviously they don't have Greg Holland this year. So maybe that bullpen is, is very good rather than elite. One other important point about the Royals is that, for example, even Steamer is not that optimistic, 79 wins, but Steamer has the Indians winning division at 84 wins. So it is it has five teams clustered with the Twins at 78 wins and the Indians at 84 wins. So basically they're saying, I mean, from a projection standpoint, Steamer is basically saying that every team in the AL Central 
is basically equal. Uh, more or less, and if, if you look at it with the exception of the, of the Red Sox, every team in the American League, they have pretty close. And we've talked about it before, the American League is very, you know, there's no really, really great or really, really lousy team in the American League. Everybody thinks they have a chance. The entire league, they have between 78 and 91 wins. And if you take out the Red Sox, 78 and 86 uh, wins. That's the entire league right there. And I think a lot of that is that uh, no good projection system is going to project an outlier. But I do think that that league is very tightly clustered together. I think the most interesting is really that, you know, the Red Sox, so I, I think they're the best team in the division, but best team in the American League, I think that's hard to say coming off uh, how many last place finishes. So yeah. that's something that stands out. And then over in the NL, the NL is sort of a little bit of the opposite is we have a bunch of rebuilding clubs. So the NL East, there are two teams that are clearly sort of a step below, and the Braves and Phillies, and Steamer has them in, in the six, in six, 68 and 60, 66 wins. Uh NL Central, you've got the Brewers and the Reds, two other teams that uh, rebuilding. Rebuilding. Yeah. So that I mean, so much of the the NL Central is probably going to be decided by who plays best against the Reds and the Brewers. Much like you know, uh, the NL East will be decided yeah. by who plays best against the Phillies and, and, and the West, Braves. the Rockies and Padres. So do you do you buy Nationals by three wins over the Mets? Because I have Mets fans telling me they're thirteen wins better than the Nationals. I know that's a little bit of homers in there, but I think it's interesting that there's that much of a gap because I see them as pretty much neck and neck. I think they're. They're neck and neck. Uh, and the Nats did, I mean, they lost a couple of key Not players. Not a great offseason for them. They lost a couple of key players, and they did, I mean, Still it's hard Harper. to imagine that Bryce Harper can improve on what he did right. last year. Maybe he can. Um, obviously, I, some things did go wrong for them, and a lot of things went right for the Mets. So, Yeah, I, I've always been a, a big supporter of Steven Strasburg, and I know his perception is pretty low right now. Right, but he came off the DL last year. He's phenomenal, and you still have Scherzer. So, is that rotation as good as the Mets? Maybe not, but the top two, I think, per, yeah, I think it might be. And I also think that there's a good chance that Rendon is a Anthony Rendon is a top ten player in the National Absolutely. League this year. Yeah, I, I think I think I would have had them equal, and then you know, the Mets get uh, Cespedes, and I think that probably pushes them a little bit ahead for me. Even though I don't think he's exactly what we saw last year, that's probably the best division race in baseball. Nats and Mets, in my for my money. Um, I think you know there's the other two NL races. We'll get some. They'll have a little more the star power with the rivalries, you know, Cubs, Cardinals, Dodgers, Giants. But I don't think those two teams are as evenly matched as the Mets and Nets are. Yeah, and that's the great thing about projections. You know, it's it's what is this? The second week of February. Even by the time the season starts, there's still a couple of free agents to sign. Someone's going to get badly hurt in spring training. There's going to be a trade. This, it's not all going to be turned upside down by the time the season starts, but it's going to look a little different. And hopefully the projections will be updated to take note of that. And we have a few more shows to maybe talk we about the projections. We have a few more shows. That's right. And then, um, you know, maybe next year we can we can uh, put some cool StatCast data into these projections and really kind of take them to the next level. But I will say that no matter how much cool technology we have, uh, we're never going to be able to get the, the injuries and the trades because nobody can see the future like that. So listen, that was our projection show. Thank you for listening to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks to our guest, Jared Cross of Steamer. Thank you, Matt Myers, sitting right here. And thank you for listening. Catch you next week.